Hey, this is Josh Herrera, and I'm the pastor of Lighthouse Church North County, and this is our podcast. Wherever you are and however you are listening, I want to say thank you for tuning in to what we are teaching at Lighthouse. Our desire is that these messages would help you to fulfill your God-given potential. If this message impacts you, share it with someone you know. We are on this journey together, becoming more like Jesus, one day and one step at a time. Now here's today's message. We hope it blesses you. We have a brand new teaching series that we are in. It is a teaching series called The Blessed Life. Can y'all say The Blessed Life? I'm so excited about this series. I believe it is going to wreck you in a good way. I think it's going to wreck you in a good way. And uh, so go with me to Matthew chapter 6. Um, I see the time. I'm being mindful of the time. And I got a lot of teaching I have to do. Uh, but but I think this this I think what we're going to talk about today is going to help unlock some things in your life, that's literally the subline of this series, unlocking the principles to elevate your life. And um, I can't wait to really see what God does through this series. I have an expectation that lives are going to be changed as a result of this series. I have an expectation that you today are going to leave with just a different view of the kingdom of God today. So let's dive in. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to read nine verses. We're going to catch you up on your Bible reading right now, okay? Here we go. Jesus is talking. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? Time out. Some of y'all need to receive that right there. That that verse just is going to unlock some of you. You cannot add life. You cannot add time to your life through worry. All right? Some of you just received that. All right? Let's go on. And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown to the fire... Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry asking what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. Now here's the punchline, Lighthouse. This is the key verse, okay? But seek first. Everybody say seek first. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. For the next few moments, I want to talk to you on this thought that I am calling God first. God first. Let's take a moment and pray for the hearing of the word, and then we're going to dive in. Father, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for the opportunity to hear your word. God, we have felt your presence so powerfully throughout our worship service, and you've already met us here. You're already here, and you're moving in our hearts. And now, God, I pray that as we turn to your word, that you would speak to every single person here today. As I speak to the large audience, as I speak to the crowd, Father, would you speak to the individual? Would you meet every single unique and individual need that is in this house today, speaking to them a word that they so need to hear from you right now? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Clap your hands and you may be seated. Let's talk about God first. I've always been a little humored by how much attention God gets at the end of the Grammys. (laughs) I've always been a little humored by how much attention God gets at the end of a sporting event. 
Y'all know what I'm talking about. Someone wins a Grammy for a song that they wrote. Their song has nothing to do with God. As a matter of fact, it's downright tasteless. But the minute they get that award, the first thing they say is, I first want to thank God. And I always thought it was funny because I was like, wait a second. That song had nothing to do with God. That song was incongruent with a lifestyle that honors God. How can you sing a song like that and turn around and say, well, I just want to thank God. Now, now, th- now, listen, I know I'm being a cynic this morning. And in my cynicism, I don't want to overlook that there are some um, Christian celebrities and Christian athletes who are living that life. But come on, how many know sometimes you're like, dude, that song had nothing to do with God. And that song was downright tasteless and incongruent with the life of Christ. And yet you're going to thank him first. So I've seen some of that in my cynicism. I remember one time there was an athlete and um, he had taken some money that he should not have taken. Um, improper benefits. This is all before the NIL. And if I've lost you, you just figured out how much of a college sports nerd I am. But, uh, and I remember at the end of the championship game, he gets up and he's thanking God. And my cousin, like, she bought that hook, line, and sinker. Oh, I like him. He's a good Christian. And I'm like, cousin, you know he's under investigation right now. I mean, I, I appreciate that he's giving honor and glory to God, but there's just, there's just some decisions here that are incongruent with that statement that is saying, I live my life for God first. There's just some decisions here that are incongruent with what it means to truly put Christ to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of our life. Can y'all relate to that cynicism? Okay, it's not just me. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I feel better about myself already. I thought I was a guilty wretch, but now there's others with me. All right, moving on. But here's the point. Listen, I've often wondered if that person or just people in general who make a profession that Christ, that God is first in their life, truly do put God first in their life. And that's why I want to talk about this today, because I believe God wants to be first in your life. But many of us don't even know what that means. I want to help you with that today, especially as we kickstart this series, The Blessed Life. And I'm going to take you deep into this passage of Scripture. I want to dive into this passage of Scripture for a couple of reasons. Number one, we should be teaching the Bible on Sunday. I am a Bible teacher, and I love teaching the Bible. But I want to make sure that you get this, because I think a lot of people do not understand what it means to truly put God first. Y'all ready for it? Here we go. Matthew chapter 5 through 7 is a well-known passage of Scripture, and it's called the Sermon on the Mount. Y'all familiar with that, the Sermon on the Mount? That's an abbreviation for a Sermon on the Mountain, all right? That, that's the Sermon on the Mountain. Do you want to know why they call it the Sermon on the Mountain? Because Jesus preached a Sermon on a Mountain, okay? <laughs> Stick with me for more deep biblical revelation, all right? <laughs> but, but this Sermon on the Mountain that I want you to get is that the writer of this passage of scripture, Matthew, the writer, he, he writes this down, and I need to unpack this so you get this all. Matthew, Matthew's primary audience is Jewish Christian converts, so, so people that had converted from Judaism to Christianity. There are four different gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and each of the four write to a different primary audience. Matthew's audience is Jews that had converted to Christianity. In this passage of scripture, Matthew records Jesus's message. Like like this is Jesus's message. We, We get one sermon from Jesus, and it's like all of his other subsequent teachings have their foundation here, and this would become Jesus's message. Let me dive a little deeper into this. Jesus is a rabbi. Can you all say rabbi? Rabbi. 
That means that he is a teacher. And what rabbis would do is they would critically interpret what we call the Old Testament. They didn't call that back then. They just called it the Torah, the prophets, or the writings. But they, they would critically interpret what we call the Old Testament and give uh, applicable and, and relevant messages to their audience on how to live out the Old Testament. It's very much like today. Every preacher's got his own style. Every preacher has his own delivery. Every preacher has his own message. But I want you to get this. When Jesus steps into the scene, he's not just teaching. Like he's teaching, teaching. He, he's teaching with power and he's teaching with authority. So much so that all throughout the New Testament, you get these glimpses where people are talking to him about where did you learn to teach like this? There's one passage of scripture. We're going to read it. John chapter three. And it highlights this. It says, now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. And he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. So, so there was already this, this evidence that Jesus was different, or as, the, or, or as the athletes say, he was built different, okay? There's just something different about the way that he taught. Now, this should not have come as a surprise to people. This should not have come as a surprise to people because if there was a word for Jesus and the way that he taught the scriptures, that there was a, a label that we could, if there was a label that we could put on him, it would be this. He was a prodigy. Can you all say prodigy? Y'all ever heard about that term? I know since we do it with athletes, like, ah, they're a prodigy, smart person, they're a prodigy. Well, well, Jesus truly was a prodigy. You see, when we catch up to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he's about 30 years old. But he, and now as a rabbi, he's teaching um, the Old Testament. He's teaching from the Old Testament. Um, but but we saw flashes of his greatness when he was 12 years old, because when when rabbis were in the process of becoming a rabbi at the age of 12 years old or preteen or right around their early teenage years, they would sit with the different rabbis that were around they would sit with more mature teachers of the law and 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 ask them questions about the scripture they would discuss the scriptures together and they would do this in the courts of the temple well we see this in jesus when he's 12 so so let's rewind to jesus when he's 12 years old luke chapter 2 verses 46 through 47 and let's read about what we see with young jesus it says after three days they found him who's they jesus's parents they lost him they were great parents they lost jesus but when they finally found him he was in the temple court sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking questions. Now, now watch this mark on 12-year-old Jesus. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. Okay, so I want you to get this. Jesus is a 12-year-old prodigy of the scriptures, and now when he's old enough, at 30 years old, when he's old enough to begin teaching the scriptures for themselves as a rabbi, he is blowing everybody away. Nobody could teach like Jesus could teach. So do you want to know what happened? Crowds gather, right? That, that's what happens when you're really good. Like if, if, if you got a restaurant where the food is really good, what's going to happen? The crowds are going to gather. So Jesus is teaching, and his message is so good, crowds are beginning to gather. And, 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 and it's, I was thinking about this today. Think about this for a second. He preached this message on a mountain. On a mountain! And the crowds gather him up a mountain. I know many of you would be like, hey, Jesus is teaching where? Palomar Mountain. And there's no cars. You're going to have to walk up there. You're like, I'm out. But can y'all live stream it for me? Like, can someone, 
you know, I ain't walking up no mountain. I'm just not going to do it. Like Jesus is preaching from a mountain. Catch this, okay? Because sometimes we read through the Bible and we fail to capture the details. Jesus is on a mountain, and he's so good that people will climb up a mountain to hear him. And, and so when Jesus is teaching and the crowds are gathering, I want you to understand something. He didn't just teach and preach, but at some point he starts doing miracles. And the Bible says that, and the Bible teaches us that after he was teaching and preaching, he would start to heal the sick. The Bible shows us that he would start to cast demons out of people. He would start opening up the, 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 um, the eyes of men and women who were blind. People with skin conditions were being healed. And people who were thought to be dead were being raised back to life. I mean, Jesus is doing it. Like He's teaching and there's no one teaching like him. And he's not done when he's teaching. But now he's starting to do miracles. He is a rabbi unlike any other rabbi. He's a teacher of the Old Testament unlike any other teacher's. So, so I want you to get this. At 12 years old, he's a prodigy. At 30 years old, he starts to teach. But then there's some whispers in the crowd. Now, because of all these things that are happening, they're not just saying, man, he's a great teacher. Now they're starting to say, could he be the Messiah? I mean, at first when he's preaching, they're like, oh, look, it's Joseph's son. Oh, look, it's Mary's son. But eventually they're like, could he be the Messiah? Let me break that down for you. You see, the Jews were waiting for a Messiah who would come. Jews were underneath Roman occupation. They were, they were underneath the, um, the, 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 the empire of Rome. And, and what they believed would happen was that a Messiah would come and liberate them and bring them out from Rome so that they could be their own nation. And as Jesus is teaching and performing miracles, now people are starting to ask the question, Yo, could this be the Messiah? And that is all set up. That is all context to what happens here on the Sermon on the Mount. And you need to get all that because you can read your Bible without all these details and fail to see the importance of what Jesus is about to say. So now here on the Sermon on the Mount, he preaches his message and his message is a game changer. Do you want to know why we know that it's a game changer? Well, the reason is we have hindsight. So, so we see Jesus preaching on the Sermon on the Mount. We see Jesus eventually three years later get crucified, and he is hung on a cross, buried in a tomb, but he resurrects, and then he walks around on the earth for about 40 days, and then he ascends to the Father back in heaven. Like, we get to see all of that in reverse. But for the people that were hearing it in real time, a lot of this was fuzzy. A lot of this was like, man, I don't understand. What is he talking about? He's talking about the kingdom of heaven. I mean, I thought we were going to establish our kingdom here on earth, but he's talking about a different kind of kingdom. And so they were confused. But the amazing thing is today, we don't have to have that sort of confusion. We can now look at the Bible having hindsight. And now we have all of the scripture from Genesis to Revelation to make sense of what he was saying in real time. And what he was preaching about was the kingdom of heaven. Can you all say the kingdom of heaven? strips praise the lord uh he's talking about the kingdom of heaven and, and i need to explain this to you because if you don't get this you're never going to make sense of making god priority in your life so buckle up y'all tracking with me so far lighthouse i know i'm doing a lot of bible teaching right now but you all need to hear this so if you don't get the basics of the kingdom of heaven you're always going to read your bible with the wrong lens if you don't get the basics of the kingdom of heaven, much of this Bible is not going to make sense to you. If you do not get the kingdom of heaven, it is like putting on a pair of glasses that do not fit the prescription of your eyes and try to make sense of it, okay? These are my very old glasses. My wife does not like it when I break these out. She's like, you need some new glasses, but I hate glasses. I like wearing contacts. But nonetheless, when I need to give my eyes a break, I put these old suckers on, all right? We, we go retro, all right? Vintage, all right? 
<laughs> anyway, uh, could you imagine wearing glasses with the wrong prescription and trying to make sense of things? I mean, I put this on and immediately, y'all still look good, but y'all look fuzzy, all right? You look better like that. But anyway, y'all look fuzzy. And I think what happens is we read the Bible through the wrong lens. We're trying to make sense of the scripture, but we got the wrong lens on. This is why it's so important for you to not only be a part of a church, but get in a Bible teaching church and get in a connect group so you can get the right lenses on to the scriptures that you are reading. Are you tracking me so far? And so I think a lot of people genuinely want to make God first in their life, but they don't start with the teaching of the kingdom. And when you don't get the teaching of the kingdom, everything else is going to be fuzzy. Like, like everything else is going to be reading the Bible with the wrong set of prescriptions on. So let me explain to you the kingdom of heaven. Every single one of us right now, we are here in the great city of Vista. Okay? And the city of Vista is located in the county of San Diego. And the county of San Diego is located in the country of California. I mean, the state of California. It feels different sometimes. But anyway, we are in the state of California. The country of the United States. We, I mean, we are here physically, and we can track our physical location. But what you need to know is that when you make Jesus your Lord and Savior, when you make Jesus your King of Kings and your Lord of Lords, though you continue to live in whatever city you live in, in the state that you live in, in your community, your citizenship changes. When you make Jesus your Lord and Savior, you are no longer a citizen of this world, but now you have become a citizen of heaven. It's a supernatural moment when we receive Jesus as our Lord and we cease to be of this world. And now we unite with Jesus in his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, where he is our king and we are his people. And I want to read some verses to you so you see this. John chapter 8, verse 23, Jesus talking about his kingdom. He said, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world, but I am not of this world. And as Jesus is saying that to them, he's confusing them because they're like, what do you mean you're not from this world? I can touch you. I can poke you. You are here. You are here in the physical. But what Jesus was trying to explain to them is that his kingdom was not of this world. And what he was trying to explain to them and what the Bible teaches us is that when we decide to follow Jesus, we are now part of a different kingdom. We are now citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Look at what Jesus said of his disciples. Let's go to John chapter 17, verse 16. Jesus is having a conversation with his, with his father, and he says this of those who have made a decision to follow him. This is how we know that when we make a decision to follow Jesus, we cease to be of this world, and now we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. John 17, 16, Jesus says to his father, they, talking about his disciples, are not of the world, even as I am not of it. So throughout the ministry of Jesus and here on the Sermon on the Mount, he's talking about the kingdom of heaven. He's not talking about the natural. He, he, he's not talking about Jerusalem in that moment. He's not talking about Vista in that moment. He's talking about the kingdom of heaven. I want you to get this. And this teaching is hard for them to hear and it's hard for them to understand because this kingdom of heaven is invisible or said differently, it's supernatural. It's supernatural. You can't see the kingdom of heaven. It cannot be seen, and it does not involve, certainly then and not now, it does not involve overthrowing the Roman occupation or the political party that you don't like. That has nothing to do with the kingdom of heaven. 
okay? And, and, and I want you to listen to the words of Jesus at his arrest now, because I'm trying to establish this foundation that he's talking about a different type of kingdom. John 18, 36, Jesus, when he's arrested, he says during his trial, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. My kingdom is from another place. So, um, what is the kingdom of heaven if it is not a physical location where the followers of Jesus overcome their enemies? I want you to listen to me. Here we go. The kingdom of heaven is the place where King Jesus has defeated your greatest enemy. Say that one more time. The kingdom of heaven, track with me now, is the place where King Jesus has defeated your greatest enemy. Let me, let me just expound to you what is not your greatest enemy, okay? Your greatest enemy is not the opposite, opposite of your political party. I know in this culture we live in, you have been charged up to believe that people that don't vote like you are your enemy. They're not your enemy. They're, they're not your enemy. Your enemy is not a person who does not share your values. That is not your enemy. Your greatest enemy is not a person who does not share your biblical worldview. That is not your enemy. And hear me good. The greatest enemy to your soul is not the IRS, even though every April it feels like it. <laughs> Praise the Lord for taxes. <laughs> Listen to me. Your greatest enemy and the one who Jesus has already defeated is Satan. That is your greatest enemy. That, it, it's not the person of the opposite political party. Your, your greatest enemy is not your neighbor down the street who won't comply with the HOA rules, okay? That is not your enemy. Your enemy is Satan, who was the fallen angel who let pride enter his heart, and he is now after God's creation, which is you, and he is on a mission to lead as many people as he can into a life of bondage and destruction and then eventually their death. That is your greatest enemy. But listen to me, good Lighthouse Church. The gospel informs us that death has already been defeated. The gospel informs us that the price of sin has already been paid. There is not a fight that awaits the followers of Jesus, you see the fight has already been fought and victory has already been won. And Jesus is the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. And the kingdom of heaven is for people who have put their faith in King Jesus. The kingdom of heaven is for people who have pledged their allegiance to King Jesus. And they overcome this world, not through their works, but they overcome this world through the blood of the lamb. That is the kingdom of heaven. And what happens is many of us don't understand this teaching of the kingdom. And why is that? Well, number one, the en your enemy, your real enemy, doesn't want you to understand the teaching of the kingdom of heaven. And here's the bigger reason. Number two, we have become so distracted by the world that we can see that we've forgotten about the kingdom that cannot be seen. We have become so distracted with the world that we can see that we forget about the kingdom that we cannot see and this is why in Matthew chapter 6 verse 33 Jesus brings them back and says seek first the kingdom of heaven this is why God has to come first because it recalibrates the priorities in our life. When we get so caught up with the here and the now, when we get so caught up with money, success, and power, when we get so caught up in the temporary. You see, you need to get this. Back then and what is happening now, people are so preoccupied with building something temporary that Jesus has to shift our focus into building something eternal. Are you tracking with me, Lighthouse Church? 
So many times in our pursuit of things here on earth, we forget that no matter what you achieve here on earth in this life, it is temporary. All right, I have yet to see a U-Haul buried with a casket. You don't get to take your stuff with you. It's like that old bumper sticker that says, he who dies with the most stuff still dies. Still dies. And what is happening is we are, we are playing the short game, which is here and now, at the consequence of the uh, long game, which is the kingdom of heaven or that which is eternal. And, and I want you to get this. The, the, I, want you, I want you to understand just how hard it was for people to get this because Jesus was talking about the kingdom of God for the kingdom of heaven for three years. He's talking about it. And then after Jesus is crucified and, and buried and then he resurrects and then Jesus like walks around on earth for 40 days. I mean, dead man walking, the, resurrect, the resurrected Savior walking. And then finally he's like, all right, I got to go back to heaven. I'm going to go back to my father. And then, and then one guy asks this question, Acts 1 and 6. He says, Lord, are you going at this? time to restore the kingdom to Israel that was the same question they were asking three years ago three years later like like Jesus is about to ascend back into heaven and someone's like so you're gonna do it now is now the time like listen there's no such thing as a dumb question but this certainly tests that theory (laughs) you had three years to figure this out with Jesus and you still are not getting it Jesus had just made a mockery of death the grave and hell and this crowd just wanted to know are you finally going to deliver us from Roman occupation but listen If we are honest, we're a lot like that crowd. If we're being honest, we can be a lot like that crowd. How are we a lot like that crowd? Well, I want you to understand that the enemy, if he can't get you to sin, if your enemy cannot get you to sin, then the next thing he's going to try to do is get you distracted. Because an ineffective church is a distracted church. An ineffective church is a distracted church. We can personalize that. An ineffective Christian is a distracted Christian. An ineffective Christian is a distracted Christian. And, and, and Jesus was constantly trying to say, just as there is the kingdom of heaven, there are the kingdoms of this world. And the kingdoms of this world are dr- just trying to get your attention. And what are they trying to get you to do? Well, they're trying to get you to worship money. Worship relative truth, meaning there is no truth, baby. Live your own truth. Truth is whatever you want to be. No, that's not right. Okay. That is not correct. That is not the crux of my sermon to talk about that today. But there is absolute truth. And it is not up to each person to decide what it is. And the kingdoms of this world, they worship creation more than they do the creator. In the Bible college, we were just talking about hidden idols recently. It's a great conversation. And now we're sharing videos of different theologians talking about the hidden idols that exist in the church. I'm not even talking about in the world. Those are not hidden, but I'm talking about in the church. Why? Because the enemy is constantly just trying to distract the Christian. Because if he can distract you, he can get you to take your eyes off of the kingdom of heaven. And that's why Jesus kept coming back to saying, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of heaven. And, and, and when you get this, you'll start to understand some of what he's saying. Because when you first read this, it sounds confusing, right? When Jesus said, don't worry about food. When Jesus said, don't buy the clothes on your back. I mean, when I read that, I'm like, have you met my kids? I need to be worried about food. They're hungry, okay? <laughs> some of your parents with older kids, you know what I'm talking about. You're like, have you seen my Costco bill? I am very worried about food. <laughs> and when he talks about food and the clothes on your back, What he is really talking about, he's not talking literally. He's using the metaphor that if you're not careful, the cares of this world will drown you out to the cares of the kingdom. The cares of this world will drown you out to the cares of the kingdom. And what Jesus was saying is your king's got your back and he's going to take care of you. 
Your king has got you. Do me a favor. Look at your neighbor and would you just tell them, Jesus got you. Come on, would you tell them that? Just say, he's got you. What, what Jesus is teaching on the mountaintop that day, what he's trying to get for them to understand that day was not literally, don't worry about food, like, like just literally never go to the grocery store. That's not what he's saying. What he is saying is don't be so consumed with the temporary that you forget about what's eternal. And there is a spirit on what is temporary. I don't know if you know that, but there is a spirit, and I'm coming to a close, on what is temporary. See, we worship money. Money's temporary. You don't get to take it with you. And, and, and I get it. You need money to survive. But, but it is the love of money that will distract you from the kingdom of God. A lot of people just so distracted. And then when the church starts talking about money, the church just wants all my money. No, we don't want your money. That ain't it. What we're trying to teach you is a kingdom principle. And what we're trying to do is reshift the priorities of your life. Because when we teach you that God can do more with 90% of your income than you can do with 100% of your income, that's a kingdom principle. You see, it doesn't make sense when you put it that way. But the kingdom doesn't make sense, which is why you have to understand that the kingdom doesn't play by the world's rules. That's why Jesus said if you want to be the greatest of all, you got to what? Become the servants of all. That doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't, but it works in the kingdom of God. He says if you want to find your life, you need to lose your life. That doesn't make sense. Of course it doesn't. It's the kingdom of heaven. That's why when you hear Jesus say those things and you're like, it doesn't make sense. Well, the problem is you've got the wrong lenses on. You're not looking at the kingdom of heaven. You're looking at the kingdoms of this world. Said differently, you're looking at exactly what the enemy wants you to look at. You're looking exactly at what the enemy wants you to look at. Seeking God first is first and foremost about the kingdom of heaven. And and Lighthouse Church, I hope you hear me. We have to be more concerned with the eternal than we are concerned with the temporary. My fear is we are so concerned with the temporary that it is coming at the expense of the eternal. The worst consequence of all would be on missing out on which is eternal. You can't talk about God first if you've not first made him your king of kings and your lord of lords. You can't say God is the head of my life if you've never made him your personal savior. But I go to church on Sunday. That's great. We love that you're here. But this doesn't grant you access into the kingdom of heaven. What grants you access into the kingdom of heaven is when you say, I accept you as my Lord, and I accept you as my Savior, and I receive forgiveness of sins, and that when the greatest enemy of my soul came for my life and destruction awaited me, you didn't just send your best warrior down from heaven. No, but God sent his son. He himself came into this world to deal with this problem. My greatest enemy of them all, our adversary, Satan and he defeated him on an old rugged cross that's the king that we serve that's the God that we serve that's our Lord of Lords 
And all the other little g-gods of this world can't say what we can say about our God. Because Buddha and then those that worship Buddha, Buddha's no longer alive. People that worship Confucius, you can go to his gravesite, And there he remains. For those who worship Muhammad, you can go to where he is said to be buried. And there he remains. But you can't find the grave of Jesus because he resurrected from that grave. And he is now seated at the right hand of the Father as our king as our king and he is saying i want you to make sure that you become a citizen of that kingdom that's the kingdom that you have to tap into listen to me it took me a lot of work to put together this message like more so than normal and i put in a lot of time and study and preparing and, and really leaning into what god would want to say to this church but i'm telling you after one day after two days after three days and i was just wrestling this word down trying to think, how, how do I teach this principle of God first? And, and the reason it was so difficult to me is because I want to help you. I need for you to understand this. You need to understand this. And, and so because I wanted to help you, it, it, it took so much work for me to nail this down because sometimes when I say put God first, you're like, okay, Pastor, Pastor I get it. Talk to God first thing in the morning, making him first. When I say put God first, I get it annual Bible reading plan. On it. <laughs> Put God first. I got it, Pastor Josh. The tithe. I'm on it. Listen to me. If you don't get the kingdom of heaven and the teachings of the kingdom of heaven, all of those other things are not it. They're not it. They will become a box that you check if you don't have the right understanding. And everything must be done in understanding. And, and, and so my concern is when I say, let's talk about God first, so many of you are like, but I'm already doing all these things. Here's my report card. I'm checking every box. But disconnected from the kingdom of heaven, you kind of become like the Pharisees who had a form of godliness but denied the power within. And I need for you to get the kingdom power today. I need for you to understand this teaching on the kingdom of heaven. Lest you get to the point where you check all of the religious boxes and then you come to Christ almost obligating him to bless you. Obligating him to move on your behalf. Obligating him to do something for you. That's not the type of relationship that we have. I shared this this morning. I'm going to have to apologize to my mom later for sharing it. Because I wasn't going to share it. But I shared it. And it was too good not to share. So we're going to do it again. My mom got really into the coronation of the king over in England. Y'all remember how they just coronated the king? Charles, right? They got him all coronated. My mom was into it. I mean, she was so into it, her and her connector were having a watch party. <laughs> Remember when we used to have a watch party, like to watch the sermons in 2020 because we couldn't come to church? They were having a watch party. I mean, they were eating scones. <laughs> Those of you that know what I'm talking about, they were having tea, eating scones, and watching King Charles be coronated. I thought it was hilarious. Sorry, Mom. I love you. I love you. We laughed already. All right. So I thought it was hilarious. I thought it was hilarious. But what I need for you to get, when we frame up those disciplines that I just spoke about a minute ago in the right context, I mean, my mom was having a good time watching a guy on a television in another country be coronated as king. But what if I told you that in your morning, when you seek God first, your king comes and sits right next to you? 
You see, you see that, that's why we do what we do. Because no other religion, no other philosophy will teach that the king will come and have a seat with you as you delight in his presence. There's no other religion in this world that will say, Muhammad ain't going to come sit by your side. Buddha ain't coming and neither is Confucius. But when you worship Jesus, your king steps into the room. Your king has a seat at your dining table or wherever it is that you have your devotion. Your king steps into the room. And when your king steps into the room, that's why cancer has to go. Because the king has come into the room. That's why the spirit of poverty has to break over a family. Because the king has come in. He doesn't break curses and he doesn't break strongholds out of obligation. He does it when his people come to him. And when the king steps in, the king comes in with all power and with all authority. And I need for you to get this. Listen to me, Lighthouse, your king is here. And I want you to get that the eternal is much more consequential than that which is temporary. I believe God wants you to seek the kingdom of God so he can elevate your life. I believe he wants you to seek the kingdom of God so he could change the trajectory of your family. Some of you, your children, your family, if you would make a decision right now to follow him, you would change the direction of your family for generations to come. Generations to come. But you got to change citizenships. Do you want to keep being a citizen of this world or do you want to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven? If you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, we're going to do that right now. Because there are some of you that are only living for today. And if you never knew, I understand. This is not to call you out. This is to call you up. If you've never understood the teaching of the kingdom of heaven, and if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus and to enter into that kingdom, that's why it was so important for me to preach this today and why it was so important for you to hear this today. If you're hearing this right now and you're like, I just didn't know that following Jesus dealt with so much more than just coming to church on Sunday. Let me tell you, it is so much more. It is eternity in the balance. It, it, is, it is eternity in the here for you today. And so if you'd like to make a decision to follow Jesus, if you'd like to make a decision to make him your Lord and to make him your Savior, if you would like to today pledge your allegiance to King Jesus, we're going to do that right now. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads? I'm going to lead you in a prayer. But if today you want to make a decision to follow Jesus. Would you throw that hand up right now? Go ahead, just throw it up. You're like, I want to follow him. I am following him today. I want to follow King Jesus. I see you. Thank you. You may put it down. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray. Just repeat my words. If you don't know what to say, if you want to just in your own way express it, that's okay. The reason I do the prayer, the call and the answer it's because so many of you are like, okay, I'm ready to do it. I just don't know what to say. So just pray this prayer with me, but make it more than words. Make it a confession of your heart, and God's going to come in, and he's going to be your King of kings and your Lord of lords from this day from this day on. And I want you to pray to with me. Father, in the name of Jesus, I receive you into my heart today. I enter into your kingdom through the door of your son, Jesus. I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I want to receive your forgiveness today. I receive you as my Lord. I receive you as my Savior. I declare that Jesus is King, and I want to live the rest of my life following you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Hey, can we clap our hands for people that just prayed that prayer right now? Before we worship, I got one more thing I want to tell you. I wrote a book not too long ago for every single one of you. If you just prayed that prayer right now, I need to get a book into your hands. Go right to that black canopy after church. I wrote a book called um, It's Not Complicated, Taking the Mystery Out of Following Jesus. Because what has happened is a lot of people try to follow Jesus and it feels very complicated. So we made it super easy using language that I think is going to be very beneficial to you. And that is my free gift to you. I wrote that for every hand that would one day go up at Lighthouse Church so that you would know what to do next and what to do next and what to do next and what to do next. And And we want to come alongside you and do life together with you. So you're going to get a book and we're also, you're going to be hearing from us in the future. We're going to be emailing you, checking in on you. Why? Because you just made an eternal decision. And we want to make sure that from this day forward, we are walking this journey together with you. Come on, let's stand on our feet. Again, if you prayed that prayer, go to the Start Here Canopy. Let them know you want a copy of the book. We're going to worship. But more importantly, we're going to open these altars. If you need prayer, come on down to these altars. Our pastors will come and meet with you. We'll pray with you. But let's end this on worship. Lighthouse, we love you. We'll see you next week. If this message has blessed your life, I want to encourage you to share this message with others or go online to our website and consider making a donation so that we can continue bringing you content just like today's message. God bless you.